นโมทัสสะภะวะทัวรหะทัวสัมมาสัมบุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะวะทัวรหะทัวสัมมาสัมบุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะวะทัวรหะทัวสัมมาสัมบุทธัสสะพุทธังมังสังฆังนมัสสะout in the Swiss Alps, and the fitting quote of teachings from Ajahn Chah on this occasion says, walking the way, don't be careless. Even if you're right, don't be careless. If you're wrong, don't be careless. And this This uh, word careless also can be translated as heedless. It's the word we often hear about in the teachings. In other words, whatever we're doing, be careful. And this is really, I think, uh, we can say this is the essence of the Buddha's teachings. The Buddha didn't give us a belief system. He talked about what he had realized, but he didn't ask us to just. Cling to it. Mm. He asked us to investigate. But in the process of investigation, we have to be very careful. Whatever we're doing, if we're right, be careful. If we're wrong, to be careful. And if we're careful, then there's a chance we'll learn. Mm. And uh, with this. Uh, This quote of Ajahn Chah's teachings, he, he starts off by talking about walking the way. I think it's it's, it's it is really important that we, as I was saying last night, that we we remember that there is a way and there is a goal, and we can we can get distracted. I think that was what I was talking about last night was how to stay. Rightly oriented, how to stay rightly directed towards the goal. Yeah. We can easily get distracted. The yeah. vicissitudes of life, the intensity of experience that we all encounter, can distract us, and and the purveyors of the Drugs of distraction are at the moment probably more successful than they've ever been throughout all human history. We're all distraction addicts. We, we, um, we're committed to our distractions, and, which is why, even though we have uh, sincere aspirations, we hear the teachings, and we we have a a sense of faith arises, and and we align ourselves with the goal. Um, 
it's intensely difficult to stay focused, even within just 20 minutes of meditation. The mind easily becomes distracted. And it's been this way for a good long time. And this is not just, this is not just a Western disease. This is the disease of ignorance. It's interesting. Somebody sent me a, uh, a link to an article in the Guardian newspaper today or yesterday about this uh, university research they've done in America which surprised everybody. Some of you may have come across it, where they had all these students. Well, first they started with students, then they did with other age groups and and socioeconomic groups and races and so on. But they started with a bunch of students and put them in an empty room on their own for about 15 minutes. And all they had to do was to entertain themselves with their thoughts. That's all they had to do, was to think for 15 minutes. And if they wanted to, as an alternative, they could give themselves an electric shock. <laughs> Sounds charming, doesn't it? If you get bored with thinking, you can give yourself an electric shock. Or zap. It was a obviously relatively harmless electric shock. But... And uh, guess what? <laughs> the majority of people prefer to give themselves an electric shock rather than sit there and think. The majority of people basically prefer to give themselves an electric shock by way of entertainment rather than to sit with their own thinking. Now that's, 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 what's that? That's a disaster, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, that's a disaster. You know, you, you can't even just be there who you are. And that's the predicament. And that's worldwide. That's, that's the predicament. We don't, generally speaking, care for who we are, as we are. So, just to say, well, there is a goal. You know, that's not okay. That's not, that's not a agreeable circumstance for anybody. And so, I think, you know, not to forget that, that there is a goal, and the goal is freedom from suffering. And the suffering is something that we're doing. These people, they were just sitting in a room, nice room. Well, first it was an empty room, but then they repeated the experiment at home, in these people's own rooms, their own place, and the same result. Even in their own place, just sitting there. Well, I think a lot of them cheated and got up to look at their phones. So, you know, but more or less the same results. So. so just to sit there and be who you are, as you are, is not okay. So there is a goal. And it's to get to the source of this unhappiness. What is this dissatisfaction? It's not like anybody's giving you a bad time. It's not like these, you know, people or us. It's not like we're going without food or safety or warmth or things. There's just an existential state of discontentment. So even when conditions are thoroughly agreeable, we're still not happy, basically. And it's good to remember that. You know, that that's what we're doing. That's how spiritual work. We're not, it's not like we're looking for some more information. It's not like we're, it's not like we're looking to believe in something. And what the Buddha is recommending, we look for the goal and this path, this way that we're walking on carefully 
is to find the cause of this dissatisfaction. What is it? And to yeah, to write that on the refrigerator or in your somewhere to really do what we need to do to remember this is the goal because we can easily get distracted and we end up wasting time. We get convinced that other things are important when they're not. Like being liked. And being liked is, it feels important. You know, when you like, people like you, it feels good. But, you know, just some little misunderstanding and then they dislike you. Or they die on you. <laughs> Inconvenient. You know, all the people who like you died, and then what happens? It's not a safe refuge. You know, wealth, well, of course, we know about wealth. Money is really helpful. It's really helpful to have enough money. Yeah, but the difficulty with money is that we always want more, That's, you know, and we can get distracted by money. There's nothing wrong with money in itself. It's like technology. You know, sometimes you hear people going on about technology as if it's somehow inherently evil. And technology is not evil. Technology is just so. Money is just so. It's just a form of energy. But the difficulty with technology, the difficulty with money, is we get lost. And so I think that's also a fair enough way of translating whatever the part, the Thai words that Ajahn Chah was using when he said, you know, walk in the way, don't be careless. He, I'm sure it's also good enough to say, don't get lost. Yeah. And this is, I think, um, a good way of, of conceiving of our practice. Just don't get lost, that's it. You know, somebody says, what's Buddhism about? It's about not getting lost. So, well, it's about waking up. It's another way of saying the same thing about finding ourselves, but about not getting lost. Not getting lost in experience. Including not getting lost when we're right. When we're right, we can easily get lost in it, because being right from the ego perspective really feels good. And we try, we try to have more of that happiness. Even trying to be right, even trying to be successful, we can get lost in that. Now, if we don't try, that's not it either. So what's the solution? Trying too hard is not it. Not trying is not it. What's the solution? Well, this is we have this, this exceedingly helpful pointer that the Buddha gave us. Yeah emphasizing sati, right mindfulness. This, this quality of watchfulness, this quality of watchfulness, this quality of awareness, which means that even when we're right, we can observe what happens when we're right. Like what happens in your meditation where you, it's just, you think it's just going just great, you know, you go, Mind steady, clear, well-being. You get this feeling, this is how it should be. What happens at that point? Now, if we're careful, we see what happens at that point. If we're careless, if we're careless, we don't see what happens at that point, and then we get lost. 
we get lost in in being right and we get all puffed up and this is uh, i think not just in buddhism and not just for meditators but all religions at all stages there's a real risk that if we're if we're careless even with our spiritual practice even with keeping precepts even with being generous all aspects of the spiritual practice spiritual life if we're careless then there's a risk that we take it personally we get lost in it we we feed on it as we get all puffed up get overly pleased with ourselves and as i was saying even even trying really hard we can try too hard i've i've been a monk now for 37 38 years and i've seen a lot of people come to practice whether as taking up the monastic life or as householders and with a lot of zeal a lot of enthusiasm and sometimes i want to just tell them we'll just slow down you know just can you just be normal how about actually pretend that you're not practicing you know like if in the business in the company if you see the the money in the bank is going down and you don't know where it's all going to you think well you know somebody's siphoning it off what do you get what do you do how do you how do you go about trying to catch the thief do you announce to everybody in the office that you're going to try and find out who's catching the thief or are you very discreet and if you want to find out who's who's siphoning off the profits or who's stealing the petty cash you're know, very discreet about it maybe you even pretend you're not looking but you're looking well similarly in our practice if we try too hard mara can get really upset the what's called the defense mechanisms of mara mara's got his army his defenders that if if you start to threaten the realm of ignorance then there'll be a backlash we try probably all of us have at some stage come across this we we try too hard and then there's a backlash and so we don't try hard enough and that's not it so finally that right amount that's being careful and there's no fixed position from the deluded ego's perspective we want to we want to be sure we want a fixed perspective but even that we can be aware of if we get lost if we're trying too hard we're going too fast making too much effort we don't even see that we're just looking for a sense of security you know, just a belief system you know just to believe that we're right like in meditation i just i need to know that i'm doing the right thing do we really need to know or do we just want to know there's a big difference we think i need to know that i'm not wasting my time do we really need to know that we're not wasting our time who is it that thinks they need to know that they're not wasting their time from the perspective of awareness actually it's quite possible to pull back and to see that movement in mind that says i need to know that i'm not wasting my time and what it is is i want a position i want to be sure just the same as 
Yeah, I want to be sure that people like me. I want to be sure that all the things in life that we grasp at to give us a sense of security. We can do the same thing in meditation. And if we do that, as I said, you know, Mara can come back and whack us. So sometimes you know, the right thing to do is you know, just to you know, don't try too hard. You know, I sometimes tell people to pitch your practice below the radar. You know, pitch your practice below the radar. You don't want to. You don't want to be too showy. You don't want to. Don't want to let Mara know that you're looking for him. And in the situations that we find ourselves in and in everyday life where there's the opportunity to to show ourselves off, to be special, you know, to be somebody, to get praise, to seek praise. From the perspective of awareness, if you see that happening, reflect on that. Say, is that is that really helpful? And inhibit it. You don't have to be anybody. We don't have to be anybody. We don't have to be spiritual heroes. And that's why I think it's uh, it's very beautiful in the, in the chanting that we do. We say, I am the Buddha's servant. I am the Dhamma's servant. I am the Sankha's servant. I am a servant of the Triple Gem. And we bow down as a servant to a master. And I know this is not something that many of us are brought up with, but it's a, it's a ritual, it's a convention that's really worth training in this ability to adopt the disposition of a servant, you know, to be somebody who serves the Buddha, serves the Dhamma, serves the Sangha, not to be somebody who's special, not to be somebody who is a hero. And in all my years as a monk, it, it, and as the leader of a community, uh, the ones who who tend to be the, the heroes don't tend to stick around. They, they tend to fall off the edge and and uh, sometimes get themselves into a lot of trouble. They, they try too hard. So, even as Ajahn Chah says, even if you're right, don't be careless. And if you're wrong, don't be careless. When we make mistakes, if our refuge is in being successful and achieving the goal and making progress, which again is what, of course, our secular education gives us, it's got its place, absolutely. We want to be successful in all sorts of areas in life. But from the spiritual perspective, even attaching to progress is not it. Attaching to anything is not it. Yes, we use the teachings. Yes, we use the teachers. But the training is always to don't attach. Don't attach to any position or any person or any condition. Now, the fact is that even though that's the principle, we're always going to, because we don't see. You know, we've got blind spots. We've all got blind spots. 
which is why we suffer. And so the skill, and a very important skill in practice, is to prepare ourselves that when we are suffering, not, again as I was saying last night, not to try and cover up our suffering or to run away from our suffering, but if we want a barometer for practice, what we want to look at is how long does it take or how quickly can we put our hands together in Anjali and say, welcome, precious suffering. Welcome, precious suffering. Now this almost sounds trite, and we maybe we don't even want to hear this, but it's so true. It is so true. Now why do we not want to hear it? You know, because we have this really strong resistance for suffering. But if we don't pay attention to suffering, then we don't learn the lesson. We keep doing what we're doing that causes suffering in the first place. And so, if we're wrong, don't be careless. If we're wrong, actually, if we're wrong, that's a really helpful opportunity to learn. Now this is a principle that we might be able to go along with, in theory, for a while. But then when we're really suffering, it's kind of okay for little sufferings, you know, like a little disappointment, little misunderstanding, whatever. We say, oh yeah, that's okay. What Ajmanindu was saying the other night, yeah, that's sort of good enough, that's okay. Go along with that. But when something really heavy happens and we really feel threatened, what happens then? Do we remember? Do we remember? And that is, I think, again, the, the essence of this teaching that Ajahn Chah has given us. Don't get lost. Remember. Uh, the essence, the root of the, the word sati, uh, the Pali word mindfulness, you know, sati, the root of that word is remembering. Mm. Etymologically, that comes from a word means to remember, to recollect, to come back. And, and so this faculty of mind, yes, there's the other spiritual faculties that we develop, faith, confidence, trust, yes, absolutely. If we don't have trust, if we don't have confidence, if that inspiration has not been quickened within us, then we're not going to have the interest to stop and look at life, say, what's really going on here? We'll just be reacting. You know, when, when suffering comes along, what will we do? We'll just blame somebody. You know, I was reflecting earlier today how these different ways of blaming like, uh, notice I was talking to somebody, uh, an Asian friend, traditional Asian Buddhist, and uh, something was being handed out or awarded or whatever, and he missed out. He didn't get, he didn't get the goodies, and so his default response was, "Oh, I don't have enough good karma." Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, if that was a Westerner, they'd say that's not fair. You know who? How come they didn't have a fair distribution policy in place before they were distributing the goods? Yeah. Or if it was, as I'm sure all of us have seen, when something unfortunate happens to us, yeah. maybe you find yourself in, you know, you've, even maybe you've been born into some persecuted minority group. You know, from our perspective, we've got to look for somebody to blame. You know, the government is not taking care of this abuse that's going on or the society or the religion or whatever 
That's our default reaction. Whereas it seems that uh, traditional Asian Buddhists, well, they again, they blame themselves. Say, oh, my bad karma. It's my bad karma that got me born like this. So it's my bad karma that meant this happened to me. But both perspectives, whether we're blaming ourselves and our bad karma, or we're blaming the situation, the astrology, or something external, whether we're blaming inwardly or blaming outwardly, they're both heedless in most cases. Heedless reactions. I think it's fair enough to say that the truth accommodates both of these. Personally, I over the years I have come to accept the law of karma quite literally. I do believe very strongly um, in the law of karma and rebirth. And factor that in. You know, things happen. Why default to blaming the world when in fact maybe we've been complicit in it happening? You know, maybe it has. Maybe it's actually true that we've been complicit. You know, it's like, for instance, if you inherit a million pounds and then you just frivolously spend it all and then you're left destitute, do you expect anybody to feel sorry for you? No. Nobody's going to feel sorry for you because you didn't manage the resources very wisely, very skillfully. Yeah, it's, it's entirely your responsibility. Well, from the bigger picture perspective of, of the wise beings, they can see you know, the, the past, past lives. They can see there are causes. The Buddha talked about it very explicitly. There are causes in the past for suffering that ripens in that life. Sometimes the causes ripen in this life, and sometimes they ripen in future lives. There are causes and there are results. And so the default to blame ourselves and our karma, it's got some validity. It's got some validity. We need to factor that in. And similarly, the default that just blames externally, and just say, well, why can't the society take responsibility for this injustice, this unfairness where a few rich guys happen to have all the money and the majority of people are uh, struggling very hard even to get a job. You know, this is not suitable. Let's deal with the politics and tidy this up. That's got some validity. Now, if we're getting lost in our fixed positions, if we're not really interested in the reality, if we're just defaulting to finding some false security by holding on to a particular view, a conditioned view, then we're not. We're not likely to be factoring in both of these possibilities. We just default to a reaction. So we don't learn from the frustration of life. If we're mindful, if we're aware, if we're careful, then frustration, frustration actually, it's like a vector. It's like a vector in the process of transformation. Frustration is a source of energy. We don't have to see, we don't have to see the disappointment and the suffering of our life as an indictment against ourselves or against life. We don't have to get into blaming. So, yes, as I was saying, the, the faith, the inspiration, the trust, the confidence that there is a real reality is essential, and the energy that comes with that, and then the ability to focus and direct and concentrate is energy and attention, and the capacity for wise reflection, 
these four spiritual faculties, and then the fifth all-important one, as the Buddha highlighted, is one of right mindfulness. This quality of attention that is rightly informed by right view. And that means that whatever situations we find ourselves in, we're less likely to get lost. As I was saying, the, the idea of translating the difficulties of life into wisdom, like I was saying to Yomu this morning, that you know, the compost down there by the lake really stinks. I mean, all the waste from the kitchen goes down there, the lawn clippings go down there, and you know, you don't really want to go near it unless you're somebody who, you know, like Kellum who gets off on compost. He happens to have a thing about compost. So. <laughs> you know, most of the rest of us, we say, well, it's great that Kellum's doing it because it really stinks. So, but even though it stinks, it looks bad, smells bad, doesn't mean to say it is bad. And a lot of our life is like that. You know, the disappointment, loss, you know, loss can really challenge us. Grief can really challenge us. Not being understood can really challenge us. Are we adequately prepared? I think it's a good way of reflecting. Are we adequately prepared so that not just when the small moments of frustration, disappointment come, but when the big ones come? The small moments, probably all of us are clever enough to manage, but when the big ones come, we need some serious preparation for that. So this Dhamma teaching from Ajahn Chah, walking the way, don't be careless. Even if you're right, don't be careless. If you're wrong, don't be careless. I think it's a useful way of strengthening and orienting our practice. Thank you very much this evening for your attention. Sarah. <laughs>